The last two feasts of the Christmas season, the Epiphany and the Baptism of the Lord, speaks to the Lord Jesus being made known. Now, when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus into the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, two elderly Jewish prophets, Simeon and Anna, recognized that he would be the rise and the fall of many in Israel. Pagan wise men followed signs in the heavens and human knowledge and came to worship him. Both of these manifestations happened when he was little. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan when he was about 30 years old. It ended what biblical scholars call his hidden years, when he lived a normal life of childhood, adolescence, and young adulthood with Mary, Joseph, and their extended family. It also formally inaugurated his public ministry. And today's gospel recalls Jesus' first miracle. Following the gospel of John's chronology, this happened almost immediately after his baptism. And like all the other formal signs in the gospel of John, the whole scene is rich. Now to name a few, the gospel tells us that this wedding occurred on the third day. Not only could this mean it took place three days after Jesus was baptized, but it's the exact same language used to describe God's self-revelation to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. The book of Exodus records, be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Or again, throughout the Old Testament, but especially the prophets, God's relationship to Israel was put in terms of marriage and of spousal love. So this description between humanity and divinity, though, is unique in the ancient world. <clears throat> or again, in the ancient world, water was often as a sign, used as a sign of humanity and wine of divinity. So we could talk about Jesus' mission to raise humanity to divinity, or Jesus' unique status as being fully God and fully human, and all its many implications. Now, with any good story, this passage of the gospel presents a problem or a conflict. Now, it's very cultural to the first century, so we can miss it. Unlike our own celebration of weddings, as lavish as they can be, in Jesus' time, wedding celebrations literally went on for days, or a week, or more. And it was up to the host to provide for his guests during that time. So to run out of wine would have been a major embarrassment and shame to the host and to the couple. The guests certainly would never have forgotten it, nor let this poor couple forget about it, had it actually happened. And as the evangelist sets the stage, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is aware 
of this potentially disastrous situation. We're not told how or why she knows this. It's simply a given. But of course, because it's the gospel, there's more at stake than just running out of wine. And of course, as always, God's response is going to be surprising and superabundant, and indeed it is. When addressing her son, our Blessed Mother did not make an explicit request of Jesus, but a response, and a miraculous one, is certainly implied. Jesus' response to his mother only adds to the drama of the scene. And no matter how you look at it, it's sharp. Not rude or disrespectful, but very clear and sharp. And although our English translations have him address his mother as woman, which sounds, of course, very stiff and off-putting to us, the term gune carries a sense of respect and honor more along the lines of my lady. So interestingly, he will address his mother again in this way from the cross, but he will also address the woman caught in adultery with the same term. And to add to the drama, Mary is completely unfazed by her son's response. I don't know about you, but if I were a parent of an adult child and got a response like that, I would probably not respond so kindly. Rather, she simply tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. And like the Annunciation, she may not realize at the moment the full import of her words and their implications, but we know that they came from a place of purest faith and trust in God. So like the apostles and early disciples and unlike Mary, we need to come to believe in Jesus. We need to allow his words and his actions to sink more deeply into us and allow them to transform us. And we do this by fulfilling two basic commands. The one came from God the Father at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. The second comes from our Blessed Mother today. Do whatever he tells you. By our baptism, we have been incorporated into and made members of the church, the mystical body of Christ. In and through baptism, we have also received gifts that allow us to continue Jesus' ministry of healing, teaching, and sanctifying. And these are what St. Paul speaks of in the second reading. And we fulfill that mission, that call, when we obediently listen to God in prayer and discernment and use the gifts that we have been given to extend the kingdom of God. 
and like the apostles and even Mary herself, we do not know God's ultimate plan and how precisely we fit into that plan. But we trust and we know that God's will will be done in and through us. And like those first apostles who saw Jesus reveal his glory for the first time at Cana and Galilee, the more and more we listen to Jesus and experience his glory, the more natural it becomes for us to have faith, to allow God to transform us like water into wine.